What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a slightly smaller host of topics for you today, but with me, as always, a man who to me is like the Oktoberfest kit of Bayern Munich to Billy Andrews. It is Billy Andrews. I enjoy it. It's quite nice. It's like a dark red wine color. And I haven't yeah, decided the only whether I want you... I don't, haven't decided whether I want you to order it for me yet. And uh, the deadline for that decision, ladies and gentlemen, will be the end of this episode. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for the big news, the big drop, if you will. I still don't get, I mean, let's be real. The only reason you're getting this one is because you're pissed off that you may, that you missed out on the green one. Like, let come on. Yeah, I had it in my basket and I bottled it. It's the same with the Adidas trainers all over again. And I'm not... I'm not putting myself through that again. Oh, it's PTSD. It literally, NAM flashbacks. Like Lewis said, there's a slightly reduced schedule this week, uh, and that was because of the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II after 70 years. So the Premier League games and all the games in the EFL and Scotland were postponed. But in Germany, we have Marco Rose winning the breakup with his ex-team Borussia Dortmund. Bayern, it's a trouble in paradise. Three draws in a row. Nagelsmann apparently under pressure and Sadio Mane has gone off the boil. And my favourite team, Union Berlin, top of the league. But how? And how long can they keep it up? And then we will talk a little bit of Premier League because we've got Bournemouth, Brighton and Chelsea all with managerial changes. But without further ado, let's get into it. So you said it. Marco Rosa won the breakup and he did it in style. 3-0. And, you know, he was he was in the chair, in the managerial chair at Leipzig for all of two days and managed to completely turn that team around. Let's not forget, they lost on the Tuesday before 4-1 to Shakhtar Donetsk, which ultimately saw Domenico Tedesco getting the sack. Many people questioned whether that was the right move, but if you can get Marco Rosa in, who not only has shown that he can manage teams on that level, but also is from the Red Bull Cosmos, if you will. The uh, Seeing as he was uh, RB Salzburg manager before he took the job at Gladbach. So, you know... It made sense for RB Leipzig to go for Marco Rosa, but two days to turn around a team that under Domenico Tedesco looked lackluster, bleak. Do you think that, I mean, obviously many people will say, oh, duh, they made the right choice looking at the results. But do you think Tedesco should still have been given more time? It's difficult because obviously we don't know everything that goes on. And last season, they did look really good. Obviously, won their first ever major honour when they won the Pockle. But, so I was I was doing some reading into this. So he turned down the offer to extend his contract beyond next summer. So he could have potentially left next summer anyway. And that led to massive tensions with uh, Oliver, is it Oliver Mintzlaff? Yeah. So you've, you've already got 
sporting there's no sporting director at Leipzig at the moment, which we'll get into in a sec. So uh, Oliver Mintzlaff is sort of doing both sporting director and CEO job. So when you've got that tension being brought in from the business side and the sporting side, it's not going to uh, lead to happy results. But they looked disjointed. They looked, uh, they just looked, I can't, I, I can't, just, they, they didn't, they weren't a team. It was like 11 individual players. No one seemed to care what happened. Yeah, I mean, this was also discussed um, a little bit by Sport One, literally in the aftermath of his sacking. But um, they made a good point in the sense that Leipzig, they or Tedesco more over more than Leipzig, he changed his managerial style. He was when he took over from Jesse Marsh, he was still you know slowly playing the the attacking direct football that basically everyone at Red Bull wants to see because you know Salzburg had the same attacking forward style of play Leipzig do the same thing in Germany it's it's basically their DNA that's what the philosophy that they want to build the club around which I think is a really good idea because if you want to keep the DNA of a club and you always have that focus of what you want playing wise or playing style wise then you're obviously going to be making decisions based on that style. And it's not going to just be something, you know, pell-mell all over the place, um, like some teams do in the Premier League, for instance, where there just doesn't seem to be it's clear decision-making um, that is based on, you know, philosophy at the club versus just getting in, you know, the next best thing. I'd argue that at Chelsea, they've been struggling to find some some type of philosophy in some way they can basically model their team around for the better part of the 2010s so you know if if you you know coming back to tedesco he kept on playing that right after he took over from jesse marsh and obviously he got the results but every time tedesco basically gets into his second season at a club it starts going downhill and it's kind of like a Mourinho effect almost. You know, we saw it at Schalke. He managed to get an insane result out of a team that definitely did not look to be going anywhere near Champions League places at the time. Well, he got a Schalke team, you know, to, to get second place. Only second to Bayern, 2017-18. And, you know, if you look at where Schalke are now or where they were two seasons ago that's insane and it was more or less the same team that he did it with but then the second season came in and Schalke went downhill I mean he was the first manager to get the sack in the season that um where Schalke had five managers and ultimately got relegated yeah look, they 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 need to avoid going into that sort of Schalke freefall yeah, but that's the thing, you know, Tedesco basically is kind of symbolic for that free fall is, is the every time he gets into the second season of his tenure, something starts to go wrong. And I think it's because Tedesco's form of football is not attacking forward play, but it's sit back, try and control the ball. And, you know, we're not going to go and press because if you look at Leipzig, they weren't pressing at all. You know, against Donetsk, it was 
headless basically all you had 11 headless chickens i mean say for the fact that gulashi just kind of lost his head himself uh leading up to the one nil um but yeah it was just it there was no team effort it was all disjointed and you also have to say that tedesco he started openly bashing his team's performances and the fact that his players weren't doing what he wants and that is kind of like your last ditch effort as a manager to get to your players because after doing that as a manager you don't really have much of you don't have you don't have anything else you can bring to the team like no, that's, that's that's your gunpowder stores done you have no more ammo that's the the sign that Mourinho's time is coming to an end i remember he did it at united exactly. the, the start of his final season with martial pogba uh, you know he was just bashing players constantly exactly and you know sometimes they need it but i think when you don't do it openly i'm sorry no, you do that in the dressing room but i can't i can't understand the difference between last season when he took over and this season they just look so disjointed i yeah, can't i can't understand what happens over the summer for them to go okay well we're not going to be playing like we did last season but that that's what i'm that's what i think where that's where i think tedesco came comes into the whole picture because he i fully believe that he doesn't want to play that form of football he wants to basically put his own stamp on the team and when he does that he doesn't play forward attacking football he kind of sits back more and he does the you know the hold the ball try and figure out the best way to go forward um but not the fastest way to go forward if you will and that i think you know if you look at the leipzig dna maybe he didn't deserve the sack right after two bad games even though it was a 4-0 loss to frankfurt and a 4-1 loss to donetsk in the span of you know four days which has given other managers the sack before. But I think um, some other managers would have gotten more time if they had had the same philosophy that the club did. But I think the club just said, you know, after results like this, and he obviously doesn't want to have the same club DNA, they just make it just doesn't make sense for us to go forward. Well, in that case, that's on Leipzig. That's on Oliver Mintzlaff for hiring him in the first place. Completely, completely. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that Max Eber is going to be coming in a sporting director, given there's still some things to be uh, ironed out because obviously Eber is still under contract, uh, well, officially under contract at um, Borussia Mönchengladbach. So there might actually have to be a transfer fee going in there. But, you know, I think that's the reason because Mintzleff has finally realized that he doesn't have all the competencies needed to become a sporting director as well as a managerial one. I think Mintzlaff probably has insane business strategies and a, and a really good business mind, but the sporting mind isn't quite where it needs to be if you have a club at that level and the goals that Leipzig have. And I think that's why they've gone for Max Eber, and it's probably one of the best decisions they could have made. Well, yeah, we saw it with uh, Ed Woodward at United and we're seeing it a little bit with Same. Chelsea's exactly. new owner, which we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, the reunion with Marco Rosa as well could also be massive for Leipzig because 
yeah. you know, as, as much as Gladbach were a bit hit and miss, I'd argue that the Leipzig side he's inherited is not vastly superior, but it's a lot better than that Gladbach side he had. Yeah, yeah. When he managed to get the Dortmund job. And arguably better than the Dortmund side he had last season. Yeah, you know, Dortmund are a difficult one because, yeah, okay, you've got to try and replace Erling Haaland, which is never going to be easy, but they've, we spoke about this transfer episode or episode one. They do it all the time. They, yeah, exactly. They, but they I replace, don't... they move things around and they, they find other players. But I think, I don't know, it's just a difficult, it's a different situation to the one that Edin Terzic came into when he was caretaker after they sacked Lucien Favre. I'd even argue that the Rose, the, the team Rose got at Dortmund, and you know, bear in mind this was with Erling Haaland, is not as good as the team that you do have at Leipzig overall. If you take away Haaland at that time, the Leipzig team you've got now, probably better than the team that Dortmund had last season. Well, let's just have a look at that team that beat uh, Dortmund. So you've got uh, Galashian goal, Simakan, Orban, Diallo, and David Raum. Conrad Leimer, who incidentally is now injured, uh, and Schlager, Nkunku, Forsberg, Sobot Sloy, and Timo Werner. Which, when you compare that to the Dortmund side, where you think the, the horrendous defence they had. I know they've brought in Schlotterbeck and Sula, but it's just so much better everywhere apart from Haaland. Yeah. And, you know, Rosa, he was given a team who looked down and out, but he managed to get or find the right words within two days and still, you know, as you said, won the breakup. So... Well, do you think that's because his style fits more to the I hate using it, but the Red Bull DNA. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he came from the Red Bull DNA. Let's not forget, he was yeah, part he was of Red Salzburg. Bull's... Exactly. Being at Salzburg, especially being at Salzburg, where basically that's Leipzig's farm team. <laughs> it's like the nursery. I'm sorry, it is. If you look at the amount of te- uh, the amount of players who have gone from Salzburg to Leipzig since... Leipzig got to the Bundesliga. Leipzig for the fact that Leipzig are basically throwing around, you know, or at the beginning beginning of the season, we're throwing around, you know, oh yeah, Bayern are always getting all the top uh, top players and stuff, and you know they're they're always going for other teams' players. Leipzig is Leipzig have definitely transferred a lot of players from one team. So you know the fact that they're running around and you know running their mouths like that kind of funny yes i know they're not direct rivals and all that but still um but yeah i still think you know rosa coming from that leipzig or that r rb red bull dna as much as it pains me to say it that is a great club philosophy to have and they've definitely it it pains me to say but but it is they've looked at it from a business and a sporting perspective basically and they've gone, we figured out that in football, you need to have a football DNA. So we're going to choose right now at the beginning what the DNA of basically the Red Bull football project is going to be. 
and we're going to stick to it and that's going to get us results that's an that's an unreal job you just have to tip your hat to them and if you look at what Leipzig have done yes they've gotten money from an outside um entity basically but if you look at what Leipzig have done in the last six years that's insane more They've gotten they've gotten more out of it in six years than a lot of clubs in the Bundesliga Bundesliga have, which I'd argue is because they've had a straightforward vision. Yeah, they don't chop and change. They don't change it to fit with a particular manager, which is quite no. refreshing to see. But here we go. So let us know how Marco Rose will get on at Leipzig, and now we'll talk about the current champions who aren't having it all their own way, Lewis. No, you know, Three you would draws in a row. It's their worst start in the last 12 years. The fact you were behind to Gladbach and Union Berlin. You know, no Gladbach, disrespect, yeah, no disrespect to either of those, but you wouldn't expect Bayern to be behind. Here's the thing, teams. right? After the Gladbach draw, I wasn't too worried because one Jan Zoma had the day of his life two as Lothar Matthäus said it if Bayern keep playing like they did against Gladbach even though they drew 1-1 the rest of the league should be scared shitless because the way they played Gladbach Gladbach barely saw you know save for an Upamecano blunder they barely saw the light of day in that match Union Berlin was a different story completely. We're talking about a Bayern who looked harmless against Union Berlin, and they didn't look at all like the team that killed Frankfurt 6-1. That, or like the team that, you know, had their way with Bochum 7-0. That, that was a completely different story. And the problem is, they had the same deal against Stuttgart, they found a way to pick themselves up between that between those two matches um, and beat Inter quite comfortably 2-0 in the Champions League. But against Stuttgart drawing 2-2, and they were up 2-1. Arguably, they should have lost that match because, I'm sorry, but that thing against Joshua Kimmich was never a foul that should have been counted as a goal and Stuttgart should have gone ahead. You know, in replays in VAR, and we've said this again and again about VAR, it looked so much more than it was. But even in real time, the referee saw it and he still didn't give it, which is inexplicable to me. But that should never have been given. But yeah, long story short, Stuttgart should have won the match. And that is something that I never would have thought to be saying after a Bayern match. And, you know, it just speaks volumes. You you told me you told me um, right after the Stuttgart match, Bayern in their last nine Bundesliga matches, including the ones from last season, they've only got three wins from nine. It's not great, is it? And I was, no. I was I was trying to to work out sort of why you know and what what's going on why you're not scoring because it isn't just because Lewandowski's gone because mm -hmm. you were winning and you were scoring games 
I was about to I was about to say we, we I mean, didn't the, have the, any the Glad, problem. The Gladbach lineup was just I know you try something and it probably doesn't work. It definitely didn't work against Gladbach. You know, when you've got what's that four? It was basically a four-two-four, which is just I'm, never gonna work. I'm sorry, but arguably the four-two-four <clears throat> has been played since Nagelsmann started the season. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe an attack, but it it just didn't work. And I don't know. Is there any? Do you think there's any pressure? Because well, I mean, obviously, obviously, look, this isn't like. I don't want to compare it to to the French league, but the expectation at Bayern is that you win the league as a minimum. Yes, but I'd also argue that. Um... You know, you come into buying, you're going to have pressure either way. You're going to have pressure no matter what happens. It doesn't matter if you're up 4-0 and 10 points ahead in the league. You're still going to be under that pressure because then you're going to be sitting there saying, they better not blow this. So I don't think there is pressure on Nagelsmann in that sense that he's feeling it. But the stuff that's been thrown around in the media the last couple of days, the last week or so, is the fact that some players have been reportedly unhappy. And I think that's total BS. Because Nagelsmann himself said in the press conference, players came to my office last season and said, we need more squad depth. We need to have more competition in the squad. Because right now there's too much of a... Um, of a gap between the first 11, 12, 13, maybe 14 players, and then the rest of the squad, which they solved that problem, and the players got what they want. Now you have squad depth coming out of every position. So I don't think it's the, I don't think players are unhappy. And, you know, Leon Goretzka has denied it as well, because, you know, even saying to him, because the media used kind of him as an example. They were like, yeah, see, Goretzka, he came in, played 90 minutes against uh, Stuttgart, and now he's on the bench again. You know, he's going to be unhappy. Like, he went in front of the cameras yesterday and said, I'm sorry, I played 90 minutes, and that was my first 90 after coming back from knee oh, surgery. I was going to say, your man's just had a massive operation. You cannot expect him, even though he's played 90 minutes at the weekend, to play another 90. No. Again, I mean, you know, he did play exceptional last night. But that's not the point. Um, yeah. You look at the re the reaction to Leroy Sane yesterday. Wasn't thrilled to come. Yeah, but off. I think he he wasn't but, thrilled to he wasn't thrilled to come off because he was doing that well. In all honesty. Yeah, but that's the thing. He was playing really well. He was your best attacking player last night. He was he was having so much joy against Marcus Alonso. Why would you want to come off? And I know it's because you got games coming up, and you you know you were two 0 up at that point. With what, 15 minutes to go? Okay, one thing. We've been saying that he's been pissed off to come off. His quote right after the match, just reading it here. I wasn't unhappy with, uh, or it wasn't pissed off. I wasn't pissed off about being subbed off. It was more about the fact that I thought I didn't play well. Today was okay. I scored a goal, but I still didn't play well. That's why I took my frustration out on the bottle of drink. <laughs> my See, that's good, though. That's good. That's 
holding oh, himself yeah. to a high standard that can only go well for Bayern. I mean, he has been getting criticism from left, right, and center after the fact that, you know, last season he started so well and then dipped right off, you know, around January, February as well. And, you know, Zalihamicic openly told the press, you know, I expect more of him. And now he's expecting more of himself. And I think, you know, if he's holding himself to such a high standard that yesterday was a shit performance from him, we've got a lot more to see from Leroy Sané. Yeah, look, Nagelsmann's under a lot of pressure. I mean, you can't pay 21 million for a coach and then not be pressure. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about Bayern is they're not... I keep using that word. I used it last week. In a, in a world where football and the people at the top are very reactionary, the people at Bayern aren't. Yeah. Unless it's a Nico Kovac situation where it's horrendously bad. Things are not horrendously bad. There's no... From the sounds of it, from Goretzka and uh, Sane, there's no real unrest. So, you know, it, it, it's just going to take time because there's a, it's it's losing the focal point of that attack basically. And it's going to take, it, yeah. yeah, it's going to take time. As as good as they have looked at points this season, you know, particularly the six-one against Frankfurt <laughs> and the seven-nil against Bochum. It will take time, you know, teams are finding it easier when they don't have to mark against Robert Lewandowski, which yeah, is uh, exactly which is why I want to talk about Mane, because the last three games, he's been pretty quiet. Yeah, but I was just about to bring this point up as well. I think the whole Bayern form at the minute is almost symbolic or Mane is symbolic of the Bayern dip in form right now, because the minute Mane has been dropping off form, Bayern have as well. Um, and I'd also argue both dips in form can be explained by the fact that you have a new system, and for Mane, it's a new club, new surroundings. Like, yeah, he hit the ground running, but you can't expect that, you know, there are so few players, like, I'm sorry, if Lionel Messi isn't hitting the ground running at PSG and it takes him a full season to acclimatize, that just goes to show that one of the best, if not the best player in the world, can't function right away in new surroundings. It's normal. Sadio Mane will need time to function fully in new surroundings. I mean, there was a point yesterday where I was just, you know, I put my head in my hands because... Muzella won the ball back at the edge of the Barca box, dribbled through three players and put the ball in the middle. And Sané and Müller both went to shoot that ball and ended up kicking them, kicking each other and falling over each other. And it, and the commentator was like, yeah, that's basically symbolic of what Bayern are right now. You know, basically falling over each other and not really communicating properly. And, the, and just the, you know, the, the whole routine is just not fluid yet and i think you know we just need to have mane take some time get the routine down get to know the new team the new surroundings a little bit more because yeah we had or we've all seen the basically the starting amazing results from bayern and mane but you know if you're expecting that to keep going through the whole season and it clicks from minute one that's a bit too much to ask. 
And I think that's the same with Bayern. They're figuring out a new attack without a focal point in the attack. And they've done pretty well so far. I mean, save for the results in the league as of late, but they still have the most goals. So I don't think there's a problem in the attacking department as big as some people might say. Look, there's one thing I've learned from doing this with you. It's the fact that we'll we'll say something at the weekend. And another win 5-0. <laughs> yeah, and Mane will score all five. So, exactly. <laughs> you know, if anyone's exactly. looking for a, a quick way to make money, uh, just bet on Sadio Mane to score a hat-trick against Augsburg at the weekend. Just before we talk Union Berlin, uh, this completely went under my radar, and uh, pretty sure it went under yours as well. Uh, but Bochum have sacked Thomas Rice. Yeah, this is got. Yeah, it's. They it's did it yesterday. The and it's because... Only just come up on my on my radar. You know, they've they've released yeah, Thomas I... Rice, but all six games this season have been defeats. So, is it really a massive shock? It's not a massive shock, and. You know, it, I'm sorry, but Bochum have just been getting knocked from all sides. You can lose 7-0 to Bayern. They did it last season as well. But last season, they still managed to get mid-table places at the, end of the sa- at the end of the season, and they didn't look half as bad as they do this season. This season is just going downhill. I mean, they lost to Schalke, man. As you said, zero points, four to 18 goal difference. Yes, they conceded seven against Bayern, but still. I was going to say, well, you can kind of discount that, but four to 11 is still pretty bad. And zero points. No points. When you think of some of the players that they've got. I'm sorry, but their goalkeeper, uh, Manuel Riemann, is up there as being one of the best goalkeepers you've got in the league, arguably. Well, it was like... um... Stefan Ortega last year for Armenia beat Exactly. You know, there's only so much a goalkeeper. You'll know this as a goalkeeper. There's only so much a keeper can do. Sometimes you have to have the defense actually do their job, which this yeah. year Bochum just haven't. And also the likes of like Gerrit Holtman and that haven't been performing very well. No. It's um, a far cry from that 4-2 win over Bayern where, you know, you've oh. got two as I say in uh in Germany, Sunday goals. Or Sunday shots, basically, you know, goals that only happen so so often in a season. Um, yeah, but like I said, far cry from that. And the fact that they've sacked him, probably not too surprising. But I'll tell you why it probably went under the under your radar because a place above them is still Bayer Leverkusen with four points. And if you think about it. Bayer Leverkusen being 17th versus Bochum being 18th, Bayer Leverkusen at 17 is still the bigger news. So that's probably why it went under. But yeah. Yeah, true. And I suppose look, the, the, the Tedesco one was a little bit more of a shock, I think. It was a bit reactionary, if we're being honest. It, but. it was more of a jerk react. Although, you know, if you if you believe the stuff with Oliver Mintzlaff, then maybe there was already like... I mean, everything we basically just discussed, yeah. Yeah, there's obviously <laughs> massive tension there anyway. But We'll talk about Bochum more when they actually have a manager. But uh, let's, before we move on to the Premier League, let's uh, briefly have a look at a small club from Berlin. And it's not Hertha Berlin. Uh, no, because Berlin is red. 
trust. That is basically that is the motto of this little segment because Berlin is just red and it has been red for the better part of the last three seasons. And that is even though Union Berlin had never seen Bundesliga football four years ago. That is for me, I think, the most insane bit is the fact that they've had such a meteoric rise. And not only have they managed to stay in the Bundesliga for more than a season and not just yo-yoed back down, but they've managed to, you know, get European places and now they're top of the league. If you think about it, they only dropped points. And when I say dropped, I use quotation marks because they they only drew. They didn't lose. They haven't lost yet. That's the that's insane point number one. And point number two. That one of those draws came to Bayern. And in the form that Bayern were in at the time, no one thought Berlin was going to get a point out of that. Uh, definitely not. But I think, look, I think Union Berlin, it was uh, very similar to the Bayern Lewandowski situation. How do you. Yeah replace the likes of Tyro Awani, who's now at Nottingham Forest. And sitting on the bench, basically. P- pretty much. Um, but they've they've got this ridiculous front two of Jordan and Geraldo Becker. Seven goals between them in the league. You know, Geraldo Becker's got five and six and three assists. And Jordan's uh, five appearances, two goals, two assists. Which yeah, they've is, got the dynamic duo up there. They they have, dare I say it, almost that Awani Cruiser Vibe. thing going on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to argue, especially when you've got you know they're they're scoring they're scoring a solid amount of goals. I mean, obviously, yeah, Schalke, you know, putting six past Schalke is not the same as putting six past Leipzig, but they still put two past Leipzig. And won that game, two one, um, putting three past Hertha Berlin on the opening match day. I think a lot of people expected that, but you know they're they're getting the wins. They're scraping some wins as well. You know against Köln, even Köln's manager Stefan Stefan Baumgart said, "You know what? I'm going to criticize the referee as much as I like, but at the end of the day, we still didn't deserve to win that match, referee decision or not, because." Bochum were, I mean, uh, Union Berlin were just that much better. Um, go, just goes to show. I think you did mention Urs Fischer was one of the names being thrown around for the Brighton managerial job. We'll get to that in a second. I would never leave Union Berlin right now for Brighton. That'd be a step down. I'm saying it right now. Look, it, as as good as it is, and as nice as it is to see someone else at the top it i'm gonna play devil's advocate and and be my regular negative self because surely (laughs) it can't go on well just wait for the just wait for the conference league to really ramp up so you know let's let's have a conversation around november that's that's what i wanted to ask you i was going to ask you do you if you're only on berlin do you go okay we'll sack that off and just focus on the league and maybe a cup run in the in the the DFB Cup. No, do you? No. Or do you want that European dream 
you know what I mean? I don't think they're going. I don't think they're going to be focusing on one competition at all. In all honesty, I think they're going to be going for all three because they're just going to basically be sitting there and saying, you know, enjoy what we have. Think about the fact that this doesn't happen for a club like Union Berlin. Doesn't happen at all usually. And for them to have this run, you know, you've got, um, did I say Conference League? I will redact that and say Europa League because they are Europa League. <laughs> um, the disrespect. The disrespect. Uh, if I did say Conference League, I apologize. It's because they their last game was against Conference League uh, team, or I'd say Conference League qualification team. It has the SC Köln. Um, but anyways, yeah, I would say that, you know, they're not just in the Conference League. They're in the, you know, they're in the Europa League, which is not something to be scoffed at, if you will. No, it's um, not. So, I, yeah, in that, looking, in that sense. Just looking at their their next three. Oh, we'll go next four league fixtures. So they've got Wolfsburg, Frankfurt, Stuttgart, and Dortmund. Yeah. I'd say there's easily eight points out of those four. If not even 12, I'd say. You know, they, they should be they should be beating Wolfsburg and Frankfurt. Stuttgart, maybe a draw. I think they'll probably lose to Dortmund. But I'm happy to be wrong. I'd argue that they could even get 12 points out of those next four. Because they've already beaten Dortmund before. They've beaten Dortmund before. Yeah. But yeah, it remains to be seen how long they can keep this up. Obviously, you know, you are right in saying that this is the first time they're going with three competitions. It's a lot to ask. So, um, you know that that just that'll just be something that we have to we have to keep an eye on, and I think it'd be a, a conversation to be had around November is when you can see have they got it in them, have they not? Because if you think about it, SC Freiburg as well, they were top of the league la- after last weekend um, or the weekend before. Sorry, they're also in the same boat. So let's see how these clubs fare with three competitions. Let's see how long it takes them and then then i think it's a more realistic conversation to be had it would be a good car be a conversation that i'd be uh happy to have let's be honest yeah 100 there's just something about the way that they're run they're so can i know bundesliga clubs are connected to fans but the fact that the fans built that fucking ground I don't know. It just resonates with me quite nicely. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's also the fact that, you know, that team has a stadium with 18 of the 22,000 being standing, uh, a safe standing section. And, you know, they've they've had to obviously do a lot of, uh, you know, last minute planning when it came to UEFA competitions, because obviously you can't have a three quarter or more than three quarters of your spectators being safe standing. But, you know, at the end of the day, it still just adds to the magic that is Union Berlin. And for all the investment that Hertha Berlin have put into their club, 
the fact that Union have just done it so much better with so much less investment is just, it makes every football fan's heart sore. It really does. Well, let us know, can Union Berlin keep up this fantastic start to a season? And will they, like Lewis reckons, get 12 points from those next four games? But let's briefly step over to the Premier League. And uh, as a certain American man, who's causing all sorts of trouble in London. Now. Oh, yeah, he's your favourite. <laughs> I, in various group chats yesterday, basically called Todd Bowley, Avram and Joel Glazer 2.0. It's hard to he, argue, isn't it? Because like, come he's, on. Well, he's giving me no... It's giving me no reason not to think that. No. Well, I, I told you we'll start with the with the uh, the biggest thing. He sacked Thomas Tuchel. He's just as trigger uh, finger as uh, Roman Abramovich was. I'm sorry. Okay, it has so, to be said. So he they, just got the sacked... right passport. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the only difference between the two. He's got the right passport. He's just as trigger happy. <laughs> and arguably, he has less of an understanding of the way football works than Roman Abramovich did. Well, I told you what he said when they sacked Tuchel. So Tuchel is extremely talented and had great success. Our vision for the club was finding a manager that wanted to collaborate with us. But we weren't sure Thomas saw our vision the same way we saw it. We didn't have a shared vision. So what was that vision? Winning trophies. Was the vision that Thomas Tuchel had was winning trophies, and he didn't. Because I'm sorry, but that's Thomas Tuchel is arguably one of Chelsea's best managers in the history of their club. I mean, that champion the titles league. he's won exactly the titles yeah, the, he's won. They were unlucky Only last other, year. Exactly to, to lose two on penalties. Exactly, and. You know, if if we're being honest, the amount of finals he led Chelsea to in his 19 months at the club. I, tell me another Chelsea manager who has done that much in the same amount of time. Maybe Mourinho? Oh, definitely Mourinho. I'd argue Antonio Conte as well with the way he changed that Chelsea side round when he came yeah, but in. The, but that proves my point because each of those managers were given more time and each of those managers also had runs of games where the results weren't coming in. And I'll go even further because if you look at what Liverpool did with Jurgen Klopp and we're talking about a Liverpool team who not just who didn't just give Jurgen Klopp the time he needed to basically turn the club around at the beginning, but also when they had that run of, what was it, six home games where they didn't get three points i think it was at the beginning of 2020 or 2021 they still stuck by him they didn't just reactionary they didn't do a reactionary sacking they stuck by him and deservedly so i think i think ultimately it's um it's 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 a new manager it's a new owner coming in and, and basically putting his foot down Saying yeah, to but try, you know, it, it's difficult because you, you read all this stuff like, um, like, like they had disagree, they, they disagreed over what should happen with Billy Gilmore, 
you know, they, they I'm end sorry, up but selling him to Brighton, and I, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry, but these disagreements. If if Todd Bowley's disagreeing with Thomas Tuchel on a footballing decision, Todd Bowley should shut his mouth. He doesn't have a freaking clue about this sport. He just <laughs> seen. He's just seen that there's a big club for sale and said business from a business standpoint why not even though the first thing that we probably learned at uni was the fact that the worst investment you could possibly make is a football club oh yeah oh god yeah um you say that, that he doesn't know, have yeah. uh, you say he doesn't have a clue let me read you this this is what i wanted your blind reaction to because i think oh, this god. might make your brain uh, explode oh boy <laughs> let's hear it let's okay. hear it so uh, we've got one of the best academies in the world. Our academy is Mo Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, Tammy Abraham, Reese James, Mason Mount, and Trevor Shalaba. What's wrong with that statement, Lewis? What's wrong with that statement? The fact that none of those players made it at Chelsea. Jesus Christ. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, oh. we'll give, <laughs> I'll give you... I'll give you uh, Tammy Abraham, Reese James, Mason Mount, and Trevor Shadowman. They all came through the academy. Okay. Tammy so, Abraham's yeah. at Roma. Sure. Reese James, Mason Mount. But Mohamed Salah came from Basel. Exactly. Kevin De Bruyne came from, uh, what's his? Oh, come on. I'm blanking on it. Anderlecht. That's the one. That's the one. I'm sorry, but he. <laughs> no. Sorry. The main thing, the Ke main thing wrong with. Sorry, Kevin De Bruyne came from Genk. There you go. Um, but for me, the main thing wrong with that is him basically boasting about this academy like it's brought out so many great players. I'm sorry, you had one of the best up-and-coming talents in your academy, and you sold him to Bayern. Your academy might churn out good players, but the... There is such a small percentage that actually make it make it at your club. Like for <laughs> me, that that statement just makes my brain hurt because he because you know, yeah, one half of those players didn't even come through the Chelsea Academy, and two, how many of those players are actually playing for Chelsea's first team right now? Uh two regularly, one when he's needed. So Reese James and Mason Mount regularly. Well, yeah, yeah. well regularly played under Tuchel. I, we've not seen Graham Potter manage the Chelsea side yet. But <laughs> I did see something after the uh, the buying game yesterday. Someone put, whoever let Jamal Musiala leave us will not see the pearly gates of heaven. Yeah, because I'm sorry, Jamal Musiala has been winning man of the match after man of the match award for Bayern. Who is a better team than Chelsea is? Smack dab. No doubt about it. Well, yeah, but not only is he... um not you know competent enough to to know his own club um <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to be too horrible but he also he's also ultimately i hope the premier league takes a bit of a lesson from american sports why don't we have a tournament with the bottom four teams why isn't there an all-star game because they're i'll tell you todd 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 it's a money-making scheme todd it's a money-making. There is no reason for an all-star game other than money. Todd, we don't need more money-making schemes in football. Todd, 
Please. <laughs> did you did you not see what happened when they tried to start a Super League? Ex- exactly. Oh, he, <laughs> he would have been one of the first dimwits to hop on that bandwagon, oh, wouldn't he? I mean, Chelsea were one of the... Credit to Chelsea, they were one of the first English clubs to back back out of it. Yeah, but that was before Todd Bowley took over. He probably would have been like, oh, let's do this. Oh, Christ. <clears throat> Ultimately, I think it comes down to the fact that Americans should not be allowed anywhere near uh, my country. Um, hey! You're not really American. Um, and also, yeah, okay, you wouldn't try and ruin football. Well, I know, but that's because I actually understand the freaking sport. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say put it this way. We say we understand it. We always we always show that we uh, we only like to shoot our mouths off about you know topics that uh, interest us. So I'm not sure if that qualifies as an as an understanding of the sport. But put it this way, even we have a better utter even we have a better understanding than Todd Bowley does of this sport. And and this is that thing. So he's acting as that Oliver Mitzlove role and but Mitzlaff you know, has a bigger competency when it comes to football <laughs> well you saw all the players that Chelsea you know apparently didn't get you know they they wanted Jules Kunde they didn't get Jules Kunde he went to went to Barca you know they wanted three or four but they wanted Rafinha went to Barca I know Barca has this draw but surely that's got to have something to do with the negotiations of a man who doesn't understand it's well, okay that. Yeah, but it's it's all right liking football and it's all right having the money to buy one but this is where the likes of Todd Bowley the Glazers Arsenal's Cronkies Cronky, yeah you know put people in charge with the ability to do it and you just sit back and enjoy it. Because if what you want is to own a football club, put people in place with the, the skills and the, the ability to manage and build that club up. And you can just sit there and enjoy the the rewards of it. Don't buy one if what you want to do is play, you know, football manager. Then buy the damn game. It's going to cost you a lot less. Buy the game. Because, you know, as bad as United are in the transfer window, this year was a little bit better if we ignore the Frankie de Jong thing. But the reason it takes so long for deals to get done is because the Glazers have to sign off on everything. Which is even though Even though they put no money into it, it's not their money that they're, that they're using. Why not step back, go to the matches, beat the ground, give interviews to outlets? I don't care. But be the owner. Don't be the owner, the CEO, the sporting director, because ultimately it's not going to end well. I mean, the best part is that, you know, going back to the reactionary part as well, Thomas Tuchel was given 300 million to spend. Or wasn't given that money, but he spent three hundred million, which ultimately, first of all, deserves some praise from you know for Todd Bowley, really, because he came into a club and immediately made a large amount of money available for new buys. Arguably, that's a 
that that showed signs of promise and probably gave him a lot of credit with Chelsea fans at the beginning. But if you then let a man spend 300 million on new players, build up a squad that he thinks he can do well with, and then sack him six games into the season so that a new manager can come in who probably is not going to need half the players that have come in. That is a person who has no understanding of the way football works. Because yeah, that that's that's ultimately he barely had any time to work with players like uh you know Abamyang who came there because Tuchel was his yeah. ex-manager, you know, or players like uh here the um uh Wesley Fofana. You know, the players like that who you've you have spent insane amounts of money on. Like, I'm sorry, Fafana and Kukurea were near, never near enough. I'm sorry, the, Fafana and Kukurea were never near the worth the amount of money spent on them. That's just that's just a fact. That you know, obviously they Chelsea paid the tax of being a big club in English football, but still, if you're going to allow someone to spend that much money on a player, let it let the manager work with him at least half a season. But th that's that's my biggest thing, you know. And you know, like you said, the Abamyang in his interview with Chelsea when he joined, it was I wanted to work with Tuchel again. But if you're going to then sack a manager because you don't share the same vision, why not do it when you come in? Why not do it over the summer? If you wanted Graham Potter. You, you would have had Tuchel him on this go. summer. Yeah. Yeah. You let you let Tuchel go. You know, at the end of last season. You bring Graham Potter in and you give him those funds available. You know, Graham Graham Potter is is a good manager. He's a very good manager. And the fact yeah. that his 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 rise has been all the way from, you know, he was development manager at the University of Hull and technical director for the Ghanaian women's team. At the World Cup in 2007, you know he 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 took Ostersons to the first division. They beat Arsenal in the Europa League. He was fantastic with his season at Swansea, and since he's been at Brighton, he's practically revolutionised the way they play because they were relegation he, fodder before he came yeah. in. And he's beaten. Has he beaten every one of the big six clubs with Brighton now? I want to uh, say yes. Other than Manchester City, I think. Don't hold me to that. But, you know, there you go. Start of the season, opening weekend of the season, they go to Old Trafford and they, they win at Old Trafford for the first time. And that's not, it's not a fluke. No. You know, uh, his last game for in charge of Brighton, they beat, you know, they win 5 2. <laughs> Come on, this isn't, this isn't like splashes in a pan. He's a very, very good manager. But the the thing I I worry about is at Brighton, there's no real diva. There's no real yeah. ego. <laughs> at Chelsea, it's all ego. Oh, it's not just all ego. It's a bunch of players. But you know, we've seen this a similar situation, arguably, um, with Yuda Nagelsmann and going to Bayern. You know, you've got a player or a manager who's now getting brought in, not unlike Potter, for a large amount of money on top of everything. 
who has relatively little experience and is getting a team full of arguably world-class players. And I mean, you know, Chelsea, there are obviously some players who you could make the argument they're not, whatever. I'm sorry, the team still is, has a fair amount of world-class players in there. And as you said, through that, a lot of ego. I'd argue he could have a similar situation with, like with Yuya Nagelsmann, who just is able to find the right words from the get-go. Because I don't think that Graham Potter would have taken the job if he didn't think that he could do that. No, you, you're not going to turn down that job. You know, he's he's not he's not an egomaniac as a manager, but he's very confident in his own ability. Exactly. Which which it clearly is miles to go to till he reaches his his potential. Yeah. You know, there there were talks, you know, Tottenham wanted him at one point. Uh United looked at him but didn't interview him after Solskjaer because of his lack of Champions League experience, which I think is a bullshit reason not to interview a manager who's clearly doing very well in the domestic league but look it remains to be seen his first game is is tonight in the champions league and who knows but the interesting thing is that brighton still don't have a manager uh and at the moment Adam Lalana is player manager. Uh, but some of the names being thrown around, uh, Frank Heiss from uh, from Lawns, uh, Keitel, all right, I'm going to butcher this, I think it's Keitel Knutson uh, from Bodo Glimt, you know, the team that beat Roma like 6-1 in the Conference League last season. Steve Cooper from Nottingham Forest, which would just be a massive middle finger to Nottingham Forest after they bought in like 20 players. Bo Svensson from Mainz, I think, is an interesting one because he's a very good manager and Mainz doing quite well. Well, I mean, not only that, but Bo Svensson has also been, uh, you know, he brought Mainz back from basically being, you know, just a mid-table club to a club that have actually been able to garner some pretty amazing results for the fact that, you know, or for the team they've got. But yeah, I think Bo Svensson would actually, you know, wouldn't be a bad one and seeing as it's a similar environment if you will at brighton like it is at Mainz, you know you've got a club where the expectations are limited to maybe mid-table and anything above that is just cherry or icing on the cake um but yeah i think you know some of the some of the names have been thrown around there obviously they they can't have adam lalana being the player manager for you know an un- unprecedented amount of time, you know. I think anything more than just an interim spell of like, you know, what one or two games, that'd be sure, you know, yeah. asking too much. Uh, we've we've got one one more week, and then there's an international break. So it's this weekend, and then we go on international duty. I mean, they have to figure out something by the end of that international break. Can't have Adam Lalana leaving the training sh- sessions. Has he even got his coaching license? He must do. He must have some badge to be able to do it. Um, I was about to say. I was about to say, but I mean, you know, you know, and you've also got the yeah. likes of uh, Roberti. Oh no, uh, Roberto De Zerbi, who was at Shakhtar before. Yeah. Uh, it all went down. 
Uh, Sean Dyche is the favourite to be the Bournemouth manager, which I think is probably inevitable. I was about to say, because you've got, you know, he's managed clubs like that before. You know, we're talking Newcastle when they were, you know, fighting against relegation. Um, and, you know, he did quite well. I mean, he did quite well with Burnley as well. You know, we, we can't forget that 17-18 season where he led Burnley almost to Europa League, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but with yeah, but with a squad and money that are probably yeah. high EFL, uh, EFL Championship division levels. Yeah, well, again, it's similar at Bournemouth, which is the main reason that Scott Parker was sacked because he was publicly questioning the transfer strategy and the ambition of the side. I mean, yeah, but th this is why I th also think that sacking was unfair because Scott Parker just wasn't given the time that he needed to do something with that team. And he wasn't given the funds, obviously. It was because they just aren't available to the likes of Bournemouth to compete well, yeah, with the but, Premier League. Uh, yeah, I, I, know that, I know they're not available, but if, if they're not available, then you, know, you, can't, you can't just sack a manager because he's stating the obvious. No, that's true. Otherwise, there'd be no managers. Exactly. Um, but I think that's probably all we have time for this week. Too true. And as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to get the latest breaking news, such as who is Brighton's next manager or Bournemouth's next manager, um, as well as look at our previous episodes on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify for all the inside jokes and also to figure out if Billy has made a decision on that Oktoberfest kit yet because it is the end of the episode. Don't think I would uh, let you get out of this one. Uh, I can say I have and uh, I would like to go ahead with it. You're pulling the trigger, so I'm going to have to make the funds available. I'm basically the oh, Todd just... Bowley to your Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> yeah, for all about two minutes, and then I send you the send you the money. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game. <laughs>